Welcome to Love, Transform, Restore. This is your host, Charles Prince. I send me for the crowd, listening for my name. They shall be crucified, this man is who to blame. Knowing what I deserve, they free me from my chains. I turn to see his wretched face. I did not know it was his grace. It's you free me from the chains. It's you took away my pain. And now I call upon your Thank you all again for tuning in to this podcast. And again, I'm praying everyone is doing well with all this going on. A lot of states are opening up more and more. And so definitely looking forward to see how the coming months, coming weeks are going to be and what all is going to happen during the course of this time. Of course, this is a time that's a once in a few generation event. So I'm praying that we won't have anything like this again after all of this starts to subside and get starts to lessen more and more. However, we never know the future, but we know that God holds the future in his hand and that we can trust him and we can put our strength and our um, confidence in him. Continuing to look at our uh, ongoing Bible study of uh, studying under quarantine, which um, don't have too many of these left. And plus, um, many states are starting to lift shelter-in-place orders. However, there are some that are still have them. And, and in, even in some states, there are some counties that are still continuing them, even though the statewide one is done. So I still encourage you to watch, to listen to these podcasts and to encourage you to share them and to uh, just to help and spread and increase our audience with these uh, podcasts. And... As we have been doing, answering questions that I have received, and uh, there's one question I want to address before we go any further, and this one is not a biblical one, but I think it's a one that I think is worthy of uh, addressing. Um, I got a message, and this what came into the um, to my Facebook page, uh, Love Transform Restore Facebook page, and the question was asking. What is some podcast etiquette that I can use in regards to podcast and sharing about podcast? And I wasn't exactly sure what they meant by this. And so the uh, so I messaged back. I asked, uh, can you give me a little more detail on what you're suggesting or what are you saying? And she was and she had said that I just would like some advice because I have some friends um, besides you that are doing podcasts, and I just want to know what are some things to say and not to say to them. And that cleared it up, cleared it up a bit more. However, I'm not exactly sure if I have any etiquette tips. I can tell you some things that does get under my skin a little bit, and maybe that can be used as far as helping to 
have some podcast etiquette. Um, there's a number of things that get under my skin when it comes to podcasts, but probably the number one thing that I that gets on my nerves, and I don't, I can't speak for other podcasters, but I'm sure it might get on their nerves, but don't never want to say it on a podcast. Is I love my, I love people. I love my brothers and sisters to death. I honestly do. But I have a couple of friends who they still have not listened to my podcast. And this is not going the direction you think. I'm not saying they have to listen to it. Not at all. But they promise to listen to it. Promise to listen to it. I ask them all the time. Have you listened to it? Have you listened to it? I said, no, man, I forgot. I forgot. And then these same people will send me another podcast to listen to. And I know they don't mean bad. I know they're not trying to be ill and when they send that. But then I'll ask them, oh, that's nice that you listen to podcasts. Have you got a chance to listen to mine? It's like, oh, man, I completely forgot. You know, I just don't have time to listen. And, and then I, I sit back and I'm like, but you just sent this one and said this was great. But then you don't have time to listen to mine. And here's my thing. If someone listen to it and they absolutely hated it i'm perfectly fine with that i i just i think most of us podcasters love honesty if someone listened to a podcast and they say you know what this is just not for me i i can't stand it i mean be a little tactful about it but you know i'm just like is this not something i would listen to i would rather listen to that than being um kind of dragged along or just kind of being pulled along as far as just you know making me think or any podcaster think that you have an interest in the amount of work we put in, just not to um, not to have you have us being listened to, but instead us being told about other podcasters. Or um, that's another podcast etiquette thing. Um, this hasn't happened to me personally, but I have heard of a couple of people. I don't know them personally, but I have heard from friends that are friends with those uh, people that one of the biggest pet peeves they have is they get told all the time this statement, you know, one day you'll be as good as brother or sister so-and-so. And they, you know, we're trying to improve. I'm new, so I'm always trying to improve. And now I don't have no problem me saying that one day I would love to be as good as brother Robert Hatfield or brother Trey Morgan both whom I honestly enjoy their podcasts. I don't listen to them as much as I want to, but the times I do get to listen to them, they are just absolutely amazing and how they do their podcast and what all the and all the work that goes into those podcasts. And so I just absolutely love those two brethren to death and I hope one day to be as good as them. That's different between me making that observation and someone just coming off the bat and saying, one day you'll be as good as Robert Hatfield, you know? And now if I messed up on a podcast really badly and someone say, Hey man, there's always room for improvement. Just keep it up or something. You know, that encouragement that, you know, given that criticism, but also giving that encouragement at the same time, that's different. But you know, so this, uh, just pretty much common sense, you know, just think if there's something if you did podcast, if there's something that you would not like someone saying to you, then don't say that to someone who is doing podcasts. Because these 
take a lot of work to put together, to record, to do the research behind, and to do all of those things. So just keep those things in mind when talking about uh, in podcasts. So I would say that's probably podcast etiquette. Um, so just to sum up real quick, one, um, if you don't listen to a person's podcast and you don't intend on listening to a person's podcast, don't insult them, don't insult them by sending other podcasts. That's just an insult to them. And I think it's very rude and very unprofessional. And two, um, give, always give encouragement, always give encouragement, you know, give encouragement. Even if, um, if they uh, messed up really bad, give them encouragement to allow them to get better. Give advice, you know, and if you have some good advice or found some tips online, don't be scared to sh- share that with them. And three, be honest, because like I said, I'd rather someone tell me I either one, I just don't really have the time or don't want to listen to your podcast or your podcast ain't good. Yeah, it might hurt a little bit, but I take the honesty rather than being dragged along, being told that um, you are going to do something and then turns out you're not because um, we as podcasts, we rely very heavily on views, Um, view, uh, not views, listens in our audience, because the amount of audience we have, the higher up and the higher possibilities, the higher the possibility of our stuff showing up on searches on our tags. Um, For instance, the more, um, audience listeners I have, the more bigger, the bigger my audience is, the more presence I show up on apps such as um, the um, podcast, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or other apps such as Spotify. You know, it increases the presence. And so that's the reason why our audience numbers are very important because it helps increase our presence. So, um, so again, just some basic podcast etiquette there and so i want to move on to the question that i really want to address in the in this podcast today a biblical question and again this is one that i've gotten in an email again and checking with that email and reading that email uh, i think it's a really great question the question is um i don't have the question right here in front of me like I did on Friday, but I'm going to paraphrase what I remember of the question. Pretty much the question is, what are ways that we can change up the worship within the realm of scripture? What are some ways that we can change up worship in the realm of scripture? And they went on to say that this is not to suggest that to add anything above the five acts of worship that were commanded in the scripture. But what are some things that are within the realms of authority as far as uh, things that are not binding, scripturally binding, but things that are more of a convenience for us to do? And I got what she was saying, and I think it's a really great question because... um, which let's be honest and within the church um there are a number of people who would visit the church and they're not all that impressed with what all we do now here's the thing and i want to make this clear i'm not in the business to please men i'm not in the business to try to uh, don't me wrong i want to bring people into our worship and into our service but i'd rather worship with 10 members 
worshiping scripturally and worshiping God in spirit and in truth, as we see in John 4, 24, then be in a congregation of 500 and we are not worshiping correctly. So I want to make that point before I go any further, because I would never advocate that we go outside the realm of scripture for uh, as far as with the, the things we do within our worship. With that being said, I do think we do need to be more conscious about how we conduct our worship. Let me give you an example. I love all, pretty much, maybe not all, but 99.9% of the songs we sing on a weekly basis. However, I have been in some congregations where week after week after week after week, 99% of the songs were songs that only those within the Church of Christ would know, who are written by Church of Christ authors and Church of Christ songwriters, and we were ones that we would mainly know. And that's not to say those songs are bad. They're great songs. However, you know, when we have visitors that come and visit, a lot of them are silent because they... A lot of people these days don't know how to read music and don't know a lot of the songs that are just primarily sung here. And I'm not saying we should abandon those songs, but I think it's important that to realize that if we want our visitors to at least engage some in the worship, I think we should be considerate to have songs that are most likely they would know. And I'm not talking about always have to be the new songs that were came out 2000 and afterwards. It could be some older songs, uh, songs such as How Great Thou Art, or songs such as Holy, 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 Abide With Me. Those are songs that people, a lot of people, uh, now not everywhere sings the same songs, but there's a higher chance someone will know songs like that more than maybe... Uh, for instance, uh, Brother Tedley's uh, song, The Lord's Supper. And this is not to say we don't sing that song, but we do need to be conscious of the fact that we need to, we want to encourage people to part, to engage in the worship as much as possible. And I think it's important that we remember to include those songs as long as they are scriptural. And not just in those songs, but... And, Matter of fact, I want to take it a little step further because when I say I've been in some congregations that sing the pretty much songs that we would know in the church 99% of the, you know, pretty much all the time, week after week, um, the, that's, I want to break that down even further because when I say they sing songs we in the church would know week after week, this is not to say that they just go through and pretty much every every song they sing is a different song but it's one that most of us in the church would know i'm mainly getting at the fact that they sing the same songs week after week after week after week and that can get stagnant and not only get stagnant but i think we have a responsibility in worship and outside of worship to learn to be trained on songs we do not know Regardless whether it's songs such as uh, In the Eye of the Storm, which is um, a very new song that's come out within the past 10 years, or whether it be an old song such as Oh Lord, Our Lord, 
how excellent is thy name and which that's a hard song to sing not saying we should learn that one per se but the idea is one is only a few years old and one is much more older but they're still new to most people and i think it's our responsibility to be trained and to understand that we need to know and get better on learning new songs and I think that's an important thing because this is the question I want to ask. If I, as a preacher, preach the same five sermons all the time, I guarantee you I will not and I couldn't have been preaching for over five years. I would have been fired because there's an expectation that I am supposed to present not new as far as like new information, as far as uh, a new gospel, which is no such thing or false information, but new as in not covering the same topics over and over and over and over again. Now, how come we do not expect a lot of our song leaders to do the same? And which I've been in a number of congregations, including um, where I'm attending now at Lyman, where we do a good job of the variety and changing up the songs and, and whatnot. And so that's one good way to keep the worship intriguing and, and um, you know, to help us stay engaged in the worship. Because, yes, even if we are in a congregation that sings the same songs over and over again, you know, we should still put our heart into worship. However... There's a difference between, I mean, not a difference, but putting our heart in the worship is one thing, but us getting lazy about worship and preparing for worship is a whole different ball game. Everyone who's going to participate in the worship should not, you know, they should prepare for that worship. It should not just be the preacher that prepares. It should be the psalm leader. It should be those that are going to lead prayer. It should be those that are going to be um, handling and especially presiding over the Lord's table. They should be prepared so that they are in the mindset and ready to go. You know, um, can you imagine? I have heard psalm leaders who you could tell that they could care less about song leading. And so they'll just sing the same songs they've sung for the past six months in a row. But then you got some that are excited about being there and worshiping with the people. And you could tell a difference in the styles and how excited they sound in song leading. And so we got to be, so, you know, the songs, that's definitely one thing that we can do to help and make things intriguing and to help make uh you know the worship more engaging and keeping within that realm of scriptural worship um another thing that we can do as far as helping us to engage more in worship is um and this is a personal thing for me i'm not saying this has to be done but this is a personal thing for me um i have ran powerpoint for I don't know how long. It's got to be at least, um, I'm trying to think. We got the PowerPoint system at Lithia Springs back in about 2002 or 2003. And I think I started running it full time either in 2003 or 2004. But I have a lot of experience with PowerPoint. And 
And as I became a preacher and I eventually got a PowerPoint system, was able to get a PowerPoint system at my previous congregation at the Knight Street Church of Christ in Deming and in New Mexico, um, I had started using PowerPoint on Sunday mornings. So I wouldn't use it from time to time on other lessons, but I definitely wanted to use it on Sunday mornings and PowerPoint lessons. But one thing I never did was unless I wanted to break down a verse and wanted people to see me break it down, I hardly ever put the full verses up on the screen. I put the verse reference, and we had gotten a universal pew Bible, all of them being the same, so I even had a page number so people can easily find it. And this way, this gives people the opportunity to turn in their Bibles or to turn to their to the passage on their phones you know gets them more interactive into the service and i'm not against i'm not saying that the places that have the full verses up that show the full verses up on the screen isn't bad and i understand why because we do live in a generation and in the society as a whole where so many people do not know where to find things of scripture and i get that but I do think this is a good way to help people learn where things are at and having those page numbers for the Pew Bibles lets them get an idea, see the books that they're passing through on the way, get them time to understand the table of contents and understand that and that um, verses such as 2 Timothy 3, 5, uh, 3.16 is true about the word of God breathing out is actively the breath of God. And so, and this is just an opinion of mine. I, um, I see, I know why congregations have the full verses on screen and I don't, you know, I'm not putting them down for that. I think that's smart, but I do think this, the way that I've done it too, also, um, helps and gets the congregation, um, trained a bit more on finding scripture and knowing where to find certain books of the Bible. And, um, those are two main things I can think of, but another thing I can think of that will help us too. And this one is a bit more of a training of your mind than it is um, something that can be done as a congregation. And I think this third one is the most important of the three. The third one is prepare all week to meet on Sunday. Prepare all week to meet on Sunday. Because we have to realize something. Those points I brought up, they're valid. And we can have other points in how we can be more engaged in the worship within the realms of scripture. However, we have to keep in mind too, that we have to have the mindset to want to worship as well. Because, and I, this is just a personal thing for me and I've learned this and it took me being a preacher to come to some understanding on this it's so easy to criticize the worship when you don't have the proper mindset there in the first place now don't get me wrong can we have times where the mood gets destroyed in worship oh definitely I love some song leaders to death and I'm not trying to put down their ability to lead singing or anything, but there are times that we have sung songs so slow that I felt like we have sung songs faster at a lot of funerals than we have sometimes in the worship. And that is very, very um, bad because song leaders need to learn 
that they carry the mood of the worship and they can change the mood of the worship. So I'm not saying that mood can be changed during the worship. However, it's easy to complain. Oh man, they sung nothing but new songs in the worship today. Oh, so why are they doing this? Or do the opposite. Man, they sung nothing but older songs in the worship today. I don't know why they do this. It's easy to complain about it because, and this is the most important thing, Worship is not for us. We enjoy the benefits of it. We enjoy the fellowship of it. And we need to work we need that sense of worshiping and and that physical contact of being together and worship to uplift one another, to build one another, to accomplish verses like Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So those, so us being together is a very utmost important thing. However, the problem is we have taken Christianity, especially over the past 40 or 50 years, and we have mistaken we have mistaken it for um we have mistaken it for entertainment now and i'm and what i mean by entertainment you know not every you know i'm sure we could think of a number of worship houses even just here in town in alignment that all have different styles of how they worship and so i'm not saying you know i'm not talking about just us saying the ones that you know pretty much is just a rock concert for their um, during their worship service, I'm not just talking about entertainment like that, but we view everything through the eyes of entertainment. We come to worship. We don't enjoy half the songs being sung, not because they're not scriptural, but because they did not entertain us. We don't enjoy a certain, we don't enjoy the biblical style of worship because it did not entertain us. But that's the thing we have to realize. John 4, 24 says, God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Nowhere in the Old Testament and nowhere in the New Testament was there ever given an indication by the Holy Spirit that we are the objects of worship. But that's exactly what we've done over the past 40 years. We have made ourselves the object of worship. That's the reason why, and uh, I've heard these complaints a lot, being a preacher. I've heard, you know, I've joked about the ones that complained about too many new songs. I never really heard too much complaints about the older songs, but I always hear complaints about the newer songs. Oh, you know, a matter of fact, I had a sister in Christ call them the crappy songs. And she's entitled to her own opinion, that's fine. But, it's intriguing that... And some of those songs we sung were scriptural songs. Matter of fact, some of our newer songs got more scriptural content and were more scriptural based in a lot of and some of our older songs, um, especially a lot of the songs written written between the 30s and the 60s. And not to down those songs, I love those songs, but they there's always this idea that older is always superior, and that's not always the case, but. But what am I getting at? We have allowed personal preference to dictate how we enjoy worship or how we proceed with worship. And that's something we have to realize because that is something that makes and breaks how we feel about worship. 
we don't get any, I mean, we always get told, you know, or I always hear, I didn't get anything out of worship today. And again, that's the wrong attitude. You don't get anything. I mean, there's their benefits we get. Yes. We get the love that we're supposed to have for one another. If you're at a congregation that does that, yes, you get that. You get the encouragement. If your congregation is scriptural and encouraging and building up one another, yes. Do you get um, admonished? Do you get taught? Do you get? Do you feel uplifted? You should. And if you do, then yes. That is something we do get out of worship. However, the goal is not how much we get out of worship, but how much we bring to worship. JFK, in his inaugural speech, said a quote that I think we can apply to the church. You know, he, he addressed his fellow Americans saying, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what, can, what, but ask what you can do for your country. Ask what you can do for your country instead of asking the other way around. And have we thought about that in the church? Fellow Christian, fellow brother and sister in Christ, not, don't ask what the church can do for you, but what you can do for the church. And that's even more powerful because that means with us being the church, we are actively engaged. And when we come to worship, we are approaching the throne of God. And when we're approaching the throne of God, we have to realize that we have a responsibility to do what he wants us to do, what he expects of us to do. Then see, you have to realize that Christianity was never meant to be a religion of personal preference. It's meant to be of a religion in which one obeys God. And that's why Christianity is the most selfless religion there is not selfish selfless religion because we deny self and put up take up the cross of jesus and we put on christ because when we do that we are acknowledging that we no longer we no longer want our desires as far as especially when it comes to things that we think are pleasing to god we don't look to our feelings and our emotions. I cannot tell you how many people I have encountered that said, well, I feel like we should do this, or I don't think this sounds good, or I don't, this does not raise, or this does not help me emotionally towards God. And it's like worship, that Greek term for worship is the idea of a dog licking his master's hand or kissing his master's hand. So what does that mean? That means there is no room for what we want, what our preferences are, what our preferences preferences are, nor is there room for us to just go off of emotion. You know, that's just the thing we have to realize. Jesus gave up the throne of heaven. He gave up heaven. He gave up all of that to come to this earth to live poorest of the poor live among them to be raised in poverty to be an individual that did not have much money did not have much of anything to live lowly and to die on that cruel cross of calvary one of the worst cap deaths of capital punishment we have had in in history 
to go through all of that. And we can't sit in a building for an hour. I just want to stick about that. He went through all of that and we complain about being in the building for an hour or sometimes two hours on Sunday. Three if you go to all services. Be like, this is too much. And again, I just want to point it out. Christ gave it all for us. He gave his only... He, no, I'm sorry. God, the Father, gave his only begotten Son. Christ sacrificed his own life for us. And yet we complain about even giving him back an hour. My friends, we need to do better as Christians because... Can you think about the times we complain about trying to do things better or thinking we think to ourselves this could be better if this or this could be better at that you know think about all these things we can easily complain about do we not think about the fact that this is hurting jesus that jesus is feeling these jabs that we throw because we can't be mindful enough to even give him more than an hour a week at times we claim we're too busy. We claim that, okay, well, the worship is good enough. And not realizing that the worship of our Lord is not just something we do on the first day of the week. I mean, there are certain things we only do on the first day of the week. But we're constantly giving that. We need to be giving that attention. The attention a dog gives to his owner. He, he, when we take our dogs, our pets to the vet, especially our dogs, if they only gave us attention once a week and they're used to giving us attention a lot, all of a sudden they only want to see you once a week and then they want nothing to do with you the rest of the week. Maybe not the vet, but you might assume that maybe you've done something wrong. And, you know, can you imagine us doing the same to God? Ah, hour, you know, we guess. I just sit here and, and some places it's longer, but even if it's longer, you gave us. He gave his life for us. We can't even give a few hours back to him. Christians, we need to do better. And we ought to be ashamed of ourselves that we cannot even give back a few hours to God each week. Even though he's blessed us and even though he sent his only begotten son for us, we owe God much more than we give him now and now i'm not saying we'll ever be worthy of it but we should be compelled out of not just out of necessity but out of love to love god so much that we want to do more for him and i'm not saying and please i want to make a clarification real quick i'm not saying the person who sent them that that a uh, question that was their mindset i'm not saying that at all because i do think that we do need within realms of scriptural authority be sure that we are able to be you know to focus our energy on the worship and be able to you know be as engaged as possible in the worship so i'm not saying that that's the mindset of the person who sent that question so for if you're listening um this is not I'm not saying that everything I said previously was directed at you. It's just that 
thinking about this question has made me think about times I've heard people complain about the worship and you, you wanting solutions. That's a big difference. The people that complain to me about it don't have no solutions or the solutions they have is not based on scripture, but based on emotion, based on how they feel. And sometimes they'll try to base it on scripture, but they'll take that take scriptures out of context to try to prove their point. But the thing is, we must have the mindset to worship God. And we need to be sure too, as I mentioned previously, that we need to work hard in our worship, not just have the preacher by himself work hard, but those that are going to participate in worship, they need to work just as hard, as hard as the preacher. So, um, Again, I just wanted to address that, and that was a really great question. We're going to be dealing with our last question this Friday, and looking forward to that, and definitely glad for everyone tuning in, and you all have a good rest of your day um, of what's left of it, rest of your week. We'll be back here on Friday, and you all have a good rest of your week. Keep safe, and keep healthy, and to God be the glory. It's you, it's you free me from the chains. It's you, it's you took away my pain. And now, and now I call upon your name. For you, for you're my Savior and my King. For you, yes, you're my Savior.